This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are back in episode three of our series on fashion for 2023, season three. We're here, and today we're doing um, an episode called The Zen of Bridal. Now, this is really fun because most people don't know Brady's background. She is her uh, an independent bridal seamstress. She's been doing this for 10 years. She has been around the block. She has run sewing rooms and worked in big organizations, very small organizations, and now she's doing her own thing. And so this was, in in our preparation for this series, it was rather surprising how kind of difficult it was to kind of pull all these things together because there are so many different traditions and ideas around what to wear and ritual clothing and all this type of thing. And it's a lot. So, um, but today we're going to talk about all things, because it's one of the few times... um, especially in in centuries gone past when you had dedicated clothing for an event um at 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 many levels of society even the poor would pull together something to make that day kind of special and so um so we're going to dive into that today and uh and 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 learn more about uh weddings marriages and how fashion plays a part of it all Radia, can I tell you I have something to say? Um, yeah, no, I was just reiterating what all you were saying because it is a very, it's a weddings and funerals. It's a fascinating part of the world. Yeah. Uh, fashion-wise. Well, and life-wise, but fashion-wise, especially because there's so many dedicated things to specifically that throughout history, throughout cultures, like it's been so many things. Yeah. Oh no, that that's <laughs> um <laughs> when it comes to um <laughs> when it comes to funerals, um people kind of it, it doesn't really go on anymore. But in the well into the early 20th century, grave robbing was a huge problem. Um and it wasn't just jewelry. Cameron, can we stop because I don't think I hooked up my headphones and I don't want it to echo on your end. Well, hang on. With uh, with funerals, um, grave robbing was quite a problem well into the uh, well into the 20th century. And, and one of the most common things that were stolen wasn't just jewelry, it was shoes. Um, yeah, because yeah, shoes were expensive. And, you know, if you, you owned. Yeah. And, and if you owned a two pair your and whole you, life, that was a lot. And you would bury your 
you would be buried in your best pair of shoes. So those shoes would be useful. Yes. And that that was actually one of the, um, when I was writing my most recent novel, The Sweetgrass Saga, when a slave would die um, in the field or whatever other situation, the, the two things that would get stolen the most, shoes and clothes. So it is so so not not only have you you know died picking cotton or plowing a field yeah but then you know the minute you die every you know the only things that you really ever kind of sort of possessed in your life were immediately taken um which is you know quite quite ill 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 dignified but getting back to bridal much happier subject so start on a real down note um there's um uh, there's definitely a couple um a couple things that have been pretty you know important to the whole bridal thing so one of the things we first mentioned was um how particular the fashion requirements can be in a bridal setting so for example having your shoulders covered in a catholic service that's mm-hmm. a very big thing um Certain Baptist churches require having your head covered, not just by a veil, but an actual head covering. Right. And the and especially in bridal, you have this whole thing of match of this portmanteau of fashion, religion, modesty, and purity. And that goes throughout the ages. I mean, all the way back to antiquity. Yeah. So it's very complicated. Yes. And 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 obviously varies heavily by culture and religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that that's kind of a theme that we're gonna see see throughout. I wanted to start because women's is so much more complicated. I wanted to start with what men wear at weddings because you get a lot of um there's been a lot of variance. It's usually the style of whatever is common at that time period, but especially in Europe, you have a lot of military regalia, which you don't really see a whole lot anymore unless somebody who's active duty military is getting married or it's like a royal wedding. Um, yeah. Well, and even here, if they're active duty, they usually do still wear their dress uniform. Um, right. A lot of times I feel like that a lot of times comes from Yes, pride in all of that, but also then we don't have to go out and buy a suit and get it fitted because we already have one situations. So free yes. from the government, yes. Um <laughs> yeah, yes, no, absolutely. Um and then yes, and also you know, then and also having like what I think one of the things that I found interesting in my kind of when I was thinking about this was how like the standard morning dress suit with the tails and the waistcoat, which was like bog standard wedding attire. In the 1980s, we switched to the tuxedo and haven't looked back mm-hmm. in America. Now, the British and now were we're still... now we're not even doing tuxedos anymore. Yeah, now the tuxedo is out in favor of, you know, mm-hmm. some off-the-peg suit from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... Usually in some bright color and, uh, in my opinion, ill-fitting by being shorts, pants, and hipster-looking tightness. Yeah, well, I think I think that's also a very the whole the the style of tight pants. There's a a a, a tailor 
um named Derek on Twitter that I follow and he has noticed that like the the tight clothing thing is a very millennial thing Xers don't tend to do it and Gen Z is moving away from it so like Gen yeah. Z is bringing back like the wide pant leg because like, people forget suits got ridiculously loose in like the mid 90s like oh, you yeah. had that like pant legs got out of control it was a problem so like pant legs got out of control jackets got super loose like and i think that was what the appeal of like having everything much tighter was for a long time yeah um and i and think I for yeah it is attractive to show the shape of the body that's always a nice thing I just would prefer that your pants hit your shoes. But yes. that's my preference. <laughs> no, that is, uh, yeah, the whole, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think if you're going to, if you're going to do pants that don't hit your shoes, you've got to commit. So like, mm-hmm. it needs to stop at like mid-calf. It shouldn't be like a down to your ankle so your ankle bone is showing. If you're going to have shorter pants, commit. Bring those suckers up to do shorts at the knee, do three quarter length at the mid calf, but don't just leave us your ankle bones hanging out. Well, it makes no sense. It just looks like you haven't bought a suit since you were 12, in my opinion. Right, exactly. You just kind of outgrew it somehow. Um, yeah. Yes, no, that is that is 110% uh, a, a thing. And that is kind of funny how that has been kind of become become the become the style. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, of ritual clothing anymore, but marriage is still one where that it's kind of the, in our society. It is the last holdout of ritual clothing for an occasion. We do, yes. You know, um, especially as we don't. Uh, I mean, I suppose if you're Catholic, baptismal gown is still a thing. But the, I mean, as re- as people are less religious, that has become less common. Yes you know but weddings are still very ritualistic in the yes right and it was also um we also kind of noted um because we really we really kind of got into this we got a little crazy um the i think the fun, the best thing kind of the great thing about bridal is there this whole idea of ritual clothing extends to all sorts of different cultures. So in India, we have the sari, which is always usually in red and gold, very colorful. Um, in in China, lots of red and gold accents in styles varying by the period, um, depending on what they wore when whoever was in charge. Um, and traditionally embroidered with a dragon and a phoenix. Um, and actually, there's a great movie called um, Curse of the Golden Flower, with Chow Yun Fat and Gong Li. It's in Cantonese with either English dub or English subtitles. And they have um ritual robes for the dragon and the phoenix that are really elaborate. Um the Chinese kind of went all out on that movie. They did all the period correct clothing, all the real gold accessories, and they also built a replica of the Forbidden Palace in like out some wow. western province yeah they went a little overboard like it was yeah. <laughs> it was really but if you want to see the symbology as it was under the 11th century Tang dynasty that's a great movie to watch and also every single thing gong Li wears in that movie um is 
amazing mm-hmm. like it's yeah. just it's just a constant fashion I mean and they had all these elaborate wrapped hairstyles because women didn't cut their hair back then so all these elaborate yeah. wrapped hairstyles um all of a sudden it was it was out of control that, that whole movie is just uh, visually stunning um and uh well, in, so from from my what my research said the symbology of it is the reason why you have the gold dragon, golden green, usually on a red dress, um, is for protection, and the phoenix is for prosperity. So it is bringing protection and wealth, and that's why it's built into the bridal gown. Yeah. Well, there's yes, and there's I mean, especially in a in a culture that is very superstitious and believes in luck, that sort of stuff has a lot of weight. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a way that it doesn't necessarily so much so in Western societies. I still laugh about the the lady in China who was uh, flying by air the first time and threw coins into the engine for protection on her journey, delayed the flight by two and a half hours because they had to find all the coins and get them out of the engine. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, we still, I know many, many brides here that still abide by the Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Yes. That's still a thing. Yes, no, no, no letting the groom see you in your wedding dress before the altar. Yeah, yeah that yes. one. A couple of those have still persisted. That is true. You know, mm-hmm. they've 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 and clung on. The concept of a veil and a train are old concepts that are still used today. Yes. Yes, very much so. Speaking of that, we're going to dash back to antiquity real quick. So, because the 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 veil thing goes throughout different cultures, throughout different history. Um, and in ancient Rome, uh, they had a lot, when it came to what the bride wore, she had to wear a lot of things. She had a lot going on. Um she had a lot of a lot of headgear but especially things around the the veil you had um uh usually roses some sort of wreath um and uh and usually the veil would be decorated sometimes with flowers just kind of in the fabric all this type of thing but interestingly enough all the <laughs> speaking of weird superstitions all the guests would wear the same clothes as the groom and the bride uh, says here from uh wikipedia the romans believed that if bad omens showed up during a wedding it would indicate the couple was evil or unlucky in order for a marriage to be successful there needed to be no evil omens and everyone must follow the traditional customs so um again more more bridal bridal superstitions so well and if you i mean that is at least i don't know i'd have to research this part more because i didn't think about that part but that's similar to the reasons why we have bridesmaids and groomsmen especially (laughs) the bridesmaids because the whole theory was that if you dressed several other women just like the bride then the spirits couldn't tell which one the bride was or a conquering tribe couldn't tell who the bride was 
to steal her. So we dress them all together. But now, I mean, the bride definitely dresses differently now. But um, I that's as far as I know where that tradition came from. Yeah, well, and it's funny. There's there's some other weird tr- bride stealing traditions that you know have gone on. You know, like before the wedding. Um, there's a couple. I, I know that in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, kind of upper Midwest, because they're all Scandinavian. Um, there's uh, there's some bride stealing traditions that are quite fun and entertaining just different weird things people do that they're you know great 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 grandparents brought from the old country and they mm-hmm. kept doing because it was fun sort of thing lost a lot of the cultural context but you know things that kept going so um yes yeah, so the, but the, the point is is that you had um all you know uh um all these sort of different you know again the clothes leading the whole you know kind of bridal um uh, you know, kind of bridal bridal pathway. Even even for the young man, he would wear something called um, the toga virilis, um, which was a a, a short toga. Um, and also interestingly, interestingly enough, um, as for clothing, the bride would wear a tunica recta, and she would weave it herself. And it was one woven piece, which we talked about in episode one. Um, and uh, and so there was kind of throughout throughout the day. There was all these different uh, different things that you would wear for different times. Like there was um, there's a, a a specific piece of clothing that she would wear for the wedding night. And so by the time a Roman wedding is done, you've gone through three outfits just to get married. <laughs> <laughs> you, the lady has gone through three. The man has gone through one. The point is, you know, so you're you're getting married. You're gonna need a lot of clothes. That's that was the especially in the Roman tradition. Um, a big, a big, you know, part of things. And then I know you wanted to talk about this because I noted it down. Veils. You particularly had something to say about that. So this is your opportunity. I am. Well, veils, similarly to um, what we were talking about with bridesmaids and stuff like that. Um, one, it is to demonstrate purity and uh piety by not showing her face you know not being too provocative kind of thing but back in the day a lot of it started with if you cover her face then no one knows who to steal one but also if you cover her face then he may have paid a dowry for somebody and you get the older sister instead because you know we got to we got to get her sold off. So we would cover her face so that you didn't know exactly who you might be marrying. Yes, and it also says here in the notes that um, veils date back to ancient Rome when they would wrap the brides from head to toe in a veil to hide her away from the spirits that might want to thwart her happiness. People also saw delivering a bride in a veil represented her being a modest and untouched maiden. Yes. So more of that purity and chastity and all that sort of thing. Very much the purity and chastity part. Um, Currently, styles, veils do not go over the face anymore. Veils just trail off the back of your head. I mean, occasionally it'll go over the face, but it's very rare. In a lot of Hispanic and Spanish cultures, it just comes down with the lace um, 
that way and a lot of more american and european styles it's just straight off the back yeah the the lace on the sides that's a very um spanish italian southern europe yes. thing that even even if you get into like the former yugoslavia in christian cultures you'll see that that's a very southern european tradition um yeah even so when like just... yes yep that's a very <laughs> southern european tradition um so yes no all all but this again it's, it's a very strange thing i the ones that i always love are the and you don't see them very much anymore but the ones where the veil extends way down the back i kind of like that over the dress you don't see oh, that very no. much anymore here's the thing no cathedral veils are starting to come back like the ones that are longer than the back of the dress they're actually starting to come back into fashion again no there you go yeah yeah i didn't no. see that coming i really did not see that coming but yeah the big long cathedral veil that gets past the train of the dress is coming back no that's 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 that no that's legit i mean i think it's very beautiful so i'm all in favor of it <laughs> well and i think that's one of the reasons why it's coming back because it makes it very dramatic and also great for pictures because it's long and yes and oh my goodness i saw a video the other day of this poor bride she had walked all the way down the aisle, got to the altar, and realized that she had a sort of poof thing attached to her dress that they forgot to put on. Oh, no. So she's standing there, and, like, four people come along with this thing and start attaching, attaching. She literally forgot to put on half of her dress. It was so cute. <laughs> this is why all of my friends invite me to their wedding, so that things like that don't happen. <laughs> Yes, it was quite it was quite entertaining. So I want to move on to the Middle Ages because um, we start to begin to see the beginning sort of seeds of modern of modern bridal. Um, so um, the not there wasn't a tremendous amount of difference between regular everyday clothing and bridal clothing in the Middle Ages. A lot of the sort of, you know, nice, cool medieval costumes of today um, are very similar to what a bride would have worn. Um, jewel tones were popular. Velvet as a fabric was quite popular. Um, and uh, and there was usually a uh, a head covering called a cotardi that um, went from the head all the way down to the ankles. Um, and, uh, and even, uh, and there was usually when it came to, it was more of a cape, but, um, it was also something also worn by men and got progressively shorter as you reach the Renaissance. So if you look at, um, like King Richard III, which I'm actually distant relative of, I found out last year, um, uh, if you look at, then you see these very long, you know, like the signing of the Magna Carta, these long sort of cloaks. And then by the time you get to Henry VIII in the in um, in the in the 15th century, the, the cape has gotten quite short. Um, and so that, you know, changing, changing styles and things like that. But as far as a bridal thing goes, that was something where, you know, you would still have... Um, these uh these specific clothes and fabrics made for for the occasion they just tended to be the same style of what they wore just nicer which i thought was yes. interesting and practical <laughs> yes very much so and uh yes and that uh also the um 
for 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 men the popularity of um of uh of of hosiery um and having those tied in with leather um to not need uh shoes which i thought was interesting um so you'd end up with just kind of you know sort of a leather covering over over the feet um another movie recommendation if you want to see medieval bridal styles um of the 15th and 16th century the 1960 version of taming of the shrew with elizabeth taylor is a great kind of fashion palette of clothing styles and bridal styles of of that period so if you want for the 1960s they did an amazing job because the 1960s wasn't known for doing their period piece costuming well and the taming of the shrew they did incredibly accurate yes so that's another that's why i put it down as a movie recommendation that's a good movie recommendation for seeing those styles of of that of that period um there are also some really great um youtube channels um that cover these different styles that carolina zagroska from poland um there's a whole kind of um coterie of fashion youtubers doing period um revival stuff now and they're making their own patterns they're analyzing they're looking through books they're doing the most um and so um if you ever want to get into that that's a great resource as well but for cheap and easy for medieval wedding styles Timmy of the shrew 1960 with elizabeth taylor look for that um uh for there as well then in the renaissance we moved on to very similar styles but they were elaborate and included way more fabric and (laughs) i laughed about this especially in on the continent they wanted these giant pleats around the butt area so the dress would gather in the back and they'd have like six or seven of these huge pleats right over the butt which i thought was very entertaining um i mean if, if you really think about it though that's the beginning of the bustle it is it is and and it's also a great lead into the the panier style of the 18th century um mm-hmm. but it was just kind of funny to be kind of like you know that women today would be horrified why would you want that much fabric on? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, even bustling up a train for my brides today some of them think it looks great some of them are like but does that make my butt look big and i'm like if anybody thinks that much fabric is mm-hmm. actually your butt they they really need to be looking at other things than your butt just no, that's that's this is why when women keep saying why do women's clothing have no pockets, I tell them it's because women do not want things that make their hips or butt look big. And that's why women's yep. clothing doesn't have pockets. Yeah, it's true. Which that is unfortunately true. Might seem I mean, impractical. The actual original region, but that's that's definitely doesn't help. There's obviously a cost savings aspect. Putting in pockets is expensive, okay? But the reality is that when you look at the sales numbers, things with more pockets don't sell as well. Mm-hmm. They don't. Because when the thing is, when you start putting stuff in pockets, your hips look bigger, your butt looks bigger, women don't want... So then those things with pockets don't sell very well, and then the designers say, well, why spend the money? Just mm-hmm. send it out without pockets. Save the money and your sales numbers are higher. Capitalism strikes again. So, but it's also, I think, in in all of these conversations, I think bridal is particularly emblematic of this. 
changing ideas and standards of beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, as this ages and centuries go by and what is considered, you know, because a, the, a, a wedding is a, you want to be your most attractive, you want to wear the nicest things you can get a hold of, all this sort of thing. So it's really emblematic of, you know, what is the style of that day and time, what appearance was most valued. Yes, very much exactly. And that's why as we get further on in history, you know, in times where people didn't have a lot um poverty and stuff like that you just wear your sunday best because that's was your best dress that's what you had or also why dresses used to get passed down from mother to daughter to daughter to daughter because again they were expensive and you you know, had access to this, you know, somebody's been a lot of money on this dress. And so other people should wear it. Like my grandmother's dress was worn by three of her sister-in-laws. They just all wore the same dress for their weddings. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's expensive. So why, you know, why waste the, why waste the money? You know, and and that's, I mean, when we have a lot of these conversations, it's important to note um, the regular average person was not involved in these conversations until industrialization comes along in the 19th century. The vast majority of the clothes and the styles we talk about were the purview of either the trading classes or the nobility and royalty. If you were a common everyday person, you you wore the dress that didn't have so many patches with it down to the church. That was what you did. Um, or you passed the same dress around, whatever happened. Yes. your favorite one or asked your friend for one. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, the average everyday person was not even involved in in these sorts of, of conversations in any meaningful and realistic way. But like even in something like the story of Cinderella, where she takes an old dress from the attic and tries to make something new until it's destroyed by her evil stepmother and stepsisters. That was very com- that's where I set in the 18th century. That was very common before the modern before today. I mean, very, oh, yeah. very common. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but you just didn't that. throw you didn't throw clothes out if you could at all use it later at all save it even for patches because yeah. it was just too expensive. It was too expensive of a resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of that, we're now up to the pre-modern. Um, so in the 18th century, we had wedding dresses rather than being something like the Renaissance with having a specific style or all this type of thing, we get back to having really guzzied up versions of everyday styles. So for most of Europe, this meant the panniers, so the big hips, big wide, wide dresses, because we thought that was the thing we should do for a while. Um, yeah, that was and, choice. yeah, and you, and I think the most interesting thing about this period is you start to see white come up as a color. Mm-hmm. which what which didn't really white hadn't really happened before but it was especially like in france it wasn't a white white it was more of an off-white an eggshell even down to a beige light or yellow yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like a light rose yeah very very light in color it's white adjacent um you know sort of thing um which i thought was was rather interesting but obviously lots of applique lots of brocade um you know and, and yes embellishments 
Yes. And very busy. <laughs> very, yes, very, very busy. Very busy. And obviously you have, um, you know, the the popularity of wigs at the time meant people, the wealthy, could have particularly elaborate wigs for the wedding day and all this sort of thing. And that was, you know, all a part of mm -hmm. the... The conversation um another movie recommendation um if you want to see these styles in action kind of all the way through um in fact they won an oscar um the 2000 i think it's 11 marie antoinette with um kirsten dunst um mm -hmm. That the won an Oscar that year for costume because that's how good the clothing was so if you want to get into that period that's between amazing. Yeah, because Marie Antoinette was actually was actually Austrian. Um, so if you want to see sort of you know Austrian and French styles of that period, how they differed and how how the fashion culture was. Obviously, she was royalty, so for the very wealthy who lived at Versailles, who yeah. were French nobility and all this type of thing, that's a great movie to go and see those particular um, styles and the amount of time, money, effort put in by her and her ladies in waiting on fashion and style that was really the the kind of the the really the start of that not that it didn't exist before but it started to become a priority a hobby and a, a thing so she also enjoyed cosplaying as a peasant girl and she built her own french village to go around and pretend she was a peasant girl in so there you go I mean Sometimes we all like to play around. Yes. People forget she was 17 when she got married. Yeah. And the whole thing was over by the time she was 33. It was only really, she, she was not long lived. I don't think she reached 40, as I recall. Um, but I mean, she was a teenager. And when you start looking at it through, when you start looking at her actions through the lens of her being a teenager, a lot of it starts to make sense. Like, if you gave a 16-year-old the entire national treasury of the Empire of France and yeah. said, and, and have hundreds of people whose job it is to please your every whim, any teenager would probably go out of control and with that. And a teenager who has been raised by people who their job is to take care of your every whim. So yes. never really had much. No sense that. of self. Yeah, no sense of self-control yeah. whatsoever. None. No. So that but that's a good movie recommendation for, for, for that. Um, we're up to the 19th century. And here we have um kind of some big changes. So um, in the 19th century, wedding dresses tended to be red. The white thing didn't really come back again till the early 20th century. A lot of the common everyday people wore um, their Sunday best dress. Um, I had another sort of TV movie moment um, in season three of Downton Abbey, Mrs. Uh, Patmore. Um and the uh the housekeeper is uh is getting married um and she borrows a coat from the countess of grantham to kind of they ordered her a mail order dress 
the dress was not great. <laughs> and so they wanted that to- That did tend to happen a lot. Oh, wait. Yes. No, and it was like- a wish, because that just, that always goes wrong. Yeah, well, this was like the early 20th century British catalog version of Wish, and the dress was not impressive. And they're all standing in the kitchen, and Mrs. Hughes, the housekeeper, you know, they're trying to hide it from, it was Mrs. Hughes getting married, like trying to hide it from her. Mrs. Patmore, the cook, is like, this dress is not great, let's see if we can help it. And so they actually borrow a coat from the Countess of Grantham, which that was a bit of drama we're not going to into right now, but they end up borrowing a coat to make the dress kind of look nicer. That was very common in the 19th century, oh, yeah. you know. And it was basically kind of a hand-me-down from, you know, the no the nobility of that sort of like, well, you know, I we obviously have tons of clothes. Of course, I'll be nice to you and you can have this, you know, this coat to, you know, for your wedding day and all this type of thing. But she would, you know, but it was still something where like the dress was 22. It was like, I think the, the dress is only like 30 shillings, four pence, five farthings, which in today's money is about 25 30 pounds but in the 1920s that was a lot of money like it was the whole staff donated to make it happen that was a lot of money back then um and uh uh and so the fact that it didn't turn out and kind of needed to be helped all this that's what you did you know yeah that was how you know and and it was also yeah that's why women pass dresses back and forth that's why the tradition of passing things from mother to child happen. That's why veils get passed back and forth because it is good luck. And, you know, like we have all these traditions around it because it was expensive and you didn't own many clothes. So owning one that was that expensive was a really big deal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is, um, no, and that that is, that, that I think it's a, it's a great example of how, you know, obviously they're the servants, they don't make a lot of money, how, you know, they kind of, you know, made, were making a not great off the peg catalog dress work for, um, for her special, her special day. And it's also because Mrs. Hughes is older when she gets married. So it's even making, you know, the older lady's wedding special too, sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. interesting, interesting traditions. Um, in 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 all of in all of that, um, wedding styles in the nineteenth century tended to follow the prevailing clothing styles of the day. So, uh, big big bell ball gowns were popular in the mid nineteenth century, and then as waists came in and the the big bell style fell out. If you were in the eighteen nineties, it was wasp waist that was very popular. Um, if it was, you know, the 1870s, the high, you know, the high bustle with the kind of flat front and all the fabric in the butt, again, mm -hmm. fabric in the butt, oh, and that was, you know, very popular. Um, yeah, so, uh, so that was all, um, the, the, that tended to follow the contours of, uh, of the, of kind of or, normal, ordinary fashion. That's probably what I think is most jumping way ahead. That's, I think, what's most interesting about today's bridal culture is you now have all these styles and oh, you yeah. pick the style that's suitable for your body type and all this type of thing. It's completely divorced from everyday fashion. 
I mean, it is no one's gonna get. I mean, if we did that, everyone would be getting married in like a tank top and yoga pants, but white. Like, yes, very true. So, uh, like, now we have now we no have worries. ball gown, princess, teacup, okay. drop, trumpet. I mean, we have all these different styles now. We just kind of pulled all the different styles from all the time periods, and we're like, you can choose from any of these. Yeah, <laughs> I literally used to have a designer. I forget what her name is. I could look her up, but um who made basically shift flapper dresses. And yeah. she's a bridal designer. I yeah. mean, like, we have everything. We have jumpsuits. We have two-piece situations. We have detachable trains. We have everything. Yes. And oh, those the 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 what was that one you were doing a little while ago? Someone wanted sleeves in a dress that had no sleeves, and and you you built them sleeves that they could wear in case of cold. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's she it's you know confused about because she wanted them made out of tools, so I'm not entirely sure what it would do about the cold, but <laughs> you know, it's okay. yeah, yeah. So I mean, so really, what what I found in in the 20th century is. You, the the prevailing fashion trend and bridal style tends to start to separate in about the 1950s and 60s. The 50s is the last stand for, oh, this wedding dress is the same as a, a dress you would wear every day just in white. Once from then on, you start to have specific designs specifically for bridal and things get out of control, particularly when it comes to collars and sleeves. Someone in the 70s decided all collars needed to go up to the chin, and someone in the 80s decided you need sleeves out to here, like Diana in 81, huge poofy sleeves. And those lasted until well into the 90s, the poofy sleeves. Well into the 90s. It was nuts. Genuinely And nuts. you do realize those sleeves are underneath them is a bunch of scratchy plastic crinoline underneath them to keep them poofy so they crunch when you touch them it's very awkward yes and um so that now you have all these different you know styles and ideas and and even innovations like pinina tournée not making the dresses one piece rather two um mm-hmm. yeah. you know so it's, it's now i think it's interesting now that it is its own industry. It has its own style. It has its own designers, some of whom design ready to wear, but a lot don't. Like Vera Wang also does normal clothes and has a bridal thing. But you have a whole group of designers. That's all they do is bridal. Mm-hmm. You don't bridal. know their names yeah. if you don't work in bridal. Um, yes, and that is, I think, very and and that's and as it as it goes, that's a fairly recent phenomena. Um, I remember Nana got married in 1960 and she did not go to a bridal salon to get, I have her dress in my closet. Um, uh, uh, she did not go to a bridal salon. She went to a dress shop that also sold wedding dresses sort of thing. Um, in, 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 uh, in Binghamton, New York. Um, I forget the name of the place on the front of the box. Um, and, uh, and so you have, so it was a very different, whereas now we have David's Bridal, we have shops that that's all that they do. Um, we have, you know, alterations people that that's all that they do. Um, and it's not like it's, it's all, it's, it's now its own industry. It's all, it's its oh, yeah. own thing. It's a very large, just it's a very large industry, but a very niche industry. And so, um, 
it becomes quite entangled when you're in it, but it is definitely, it's like, you don't go to a big box shop to look for a wedding dress. Like David's bridal has their own seamstresses and stuff like that, but that's the closest thing to a big box shop you're going to, to buy your wedding dress. Instead, you're going to all these little small boutiques to try on dresses over and over again to find the dress. And it's a huge, like, it has gone from being, this is the dress, you know, this is my nicest dress, or this is the dress that the same just made for me, to being like, if you don't have that perfect wow moment, then you aren't happy with that dress. Like, there is no settling anymore for just kind of, you know, what was cheap and easy kind of a thing no you have to have that wow moment like and that's what say yes to the dress and things like that have done to right. make that culture of that there is no it either has to be the dress the most amazing dress you've ever seen or it's not your dress and which is good and bad i mean i think people should if they're spending that much money really love what they get and what they feel great in, and I want people to feel lovely and beautiful, but I also feel like sometimes with some people it sets up unreasonable expectations for what your body and your dress are going to look like combined. Yes. Yes, that is one. And and, I mean, that, and that's also gets the regular fashion does that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. How many times have we all fallen into the trap of buying a piece of clothing, hoping we'll look like the person on there to realize that's not, but that's not your body though. Like that's not you, you know? Um, And that is certainly true in bridal as, as well. And some of the requests that come through, like the, 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 my boobs are too low lady. Yeah, yeah, like like the boobs are too low, lady. It's like, but but that's 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 you, ma'am. Like that's you, you though. Know, boobs aren't that low. They look fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Or the way they told me, she kept showing me pictures of the model on the website, being like, "Well, why don't I look like this?" And I was like, "Well, that's because you just like she looked. She was gorgeous, thin, beautiful, tall, all of that." I was like, "Well, it's because you have like probably sorry." size C boobs and she has like an A so that's why it looks slightly different yeah but your boobs are still perky so I I think it looks fine yeah no but people people get truly truly crazy and I think that's I think that's something that I I think that's that's a thread that I think somewhat goes throughout the ages but has also been amplified today like I imagine in the ancient Roman household there was a lot of you know we faster we've got to get it done your wedding is next week you know (laughs) so why doesn't my waist look different than the way it's supposed to look yes yes exactly yes I I imagine the ages Yes, and then today it's just kind of gotten somehow worse. So, but I mean, yes, well, we've reached the top of the yes, yeah, well, we've reached the top of the hour. So this has been fun. The Zen of Bridal. I knew this would be a fun discussion, and it has been. And what a journey, and um, and everything. So, uh, final thoughts before I close this out. 
um, stop setting ridiculous expectations for your wedding and realize whatever happens is going to happen and you're going to be beautiful and people are going to love it and nobody's going to notice what your bustle looks like and you're not even going to remember in 10 years. So let it go. Very true. So thank you everybody for listening to episode three of season three of the podcast. Um, you can reach me online at Cameron Cowan, Cameron O'Cowan, uh, facebook.com slash Cameron O'Cowan, or um, on Instagram at Cameron Cowan as well. Um, there's uh, three more episodes coming of this series. So um, keep, stay tuned um, mm-hmm. and we'll keep going on this little fun, fun fashion journey. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal podcast. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.